0: listening to Impact Insights, a communications podcast by the Impact Agency.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Impact Insights podcast. I'm Nicole Webb, the CEO of the Impact Agency, and with me is my lovely general manager, Frances Dwyer. Hi, Fry.
0: Hi, Nicole. It's great to be here. How are you going? I am really good. I'm excited about what we're talking about today.
1: (laughs) Oh, and I haven't seen you all week, so um, face-to-face. We've been on... uh, on lots of uh, teams meetings instead. But International Women's Day is on Monday, the 8th of March. So it is a topic that um, anything to do with um, women, women's issues, women's rights, equality, we're both very passionate about. And being a PR organisation that had solely women as employees up until recently, um, we've very much fought for equality, I think if you, if you went on our Facebook page, we even marched, didn't we, um, mm-hmm. down the streets of Piemont um, and chanting, wanting um, equal pay and, and equal rights. So International Women's Day on Monday, the 8th of March. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about just some history and a couple of facts and figures that, that are quite distressing and disgusting. Um, talk about some people that we really admire, and also um, the International Women's Day theme for 2021 is "Choose to Challenge." So I'm going to ask you, what do you choose to challenge in 2021? But we'll do that um, towards the end of of the podcast. So I know I'm talking a lot, so let, <laughs> let me just quickly let me just quickly say that um, for those that don't know, um, International Women's Day. Uh, started in 1910 at a conference in Copenhagen for working women. And there were over 100 attendees um, at that conference. And they unanimously agreed to designate one day each year for women around the world to rally for equality. And the following March, the first International Women's Day was observed. So yay, yay for them. Yay for them back in 1910. ten, gotta would have been a Bloody hard ass for them to do that back then too.
0: Definitely. So, Froy, we've come along. We've come a long way, haven't we, since then? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, it can be easy in you know challenging times or when there's distressing headlines um, in our media in relation to women and women's rights. It can be really easy to feel as though nothing has changed, but that's not true. Um, you know, progress absolutely. It is happening and has happened over the last hundred and ten years since that first International Women's Day. But I would imagine that um, the women and delegates who attended that conference, along with suffragettes and the feminist movement and everyone who has paved the path, of, you know, prior to us, would have hoped that we would be further along in our quest for, you know, equality. Uh, in society than we are at this point, well you know the, you know the, the thing that's, that upsets me the most is that women and girls
1: make up over half the australian population, and you look at um, you know, in in parliament, for example, the Commonwealth Parliament in the lower house forty six of the one hundred and fifty one members of parliament are women, and in the upper house it's it's slightly better of the seventy six total there's 39 of those 76 are women. Even though we make up half the population, we're not being represented. There's not half of the Australian Parliament made up of made up of women, and it really, it really just just, just just disappoints me. And I think it's actually disgusting.
0: Well, it's it's an issue from top to bottom and bottom to top when we think about um, how you know the the history of our society, um, at least our modern history. Um, you know, post-colonial history uh, in Australia is very much set up as a patriarchal system. So it it is this quite recent in history that women have entered the workforce um, and stayed there beyond marriage and children, that the participation, you know, continues and that that is a choice um, for many and that many actually want to be a part of that as opposed to... Um, you know are forced to be a part of that so we have some challenges in terms of access and um, support and then um, the parenthood which is um, an organization that is aligned with women's agenda and headed up by the incredible Georgie Dent actually released a report um, at Parliament last week around um, with you know, some MPs present that put monetary figures around the economic value of things like a universal taxpayer-funded childcare adds billions of dollars to the Australian economy. Um, it also talked about... Um, ways that women can be supported in uh, moving through their careers uh, because there seems to be, you know, we've talked about the glass ceiling in the past, but then um, also there seems to be junctures where um, careers are sort of sidelined or segmented um, within women's lives. And then it also talks about the cost financially to making the decision to exit the workforce and then not having superannuation, et cetera. So there's actually a lot of practical. Um, non-emotional, uh, you know, unbiased data that proves the value of finding, reframing and, and fixing the system so that it isn't stacked against women to help with that pipeline of talent all the way up to boards. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, Fry, just to put some facts and figures around what you've just talked about, Um Women take home an average of $250 less a week than men. The pay gap is 15.3%, and has remained stuck between 15 and 19% for the past two decades. On average, Australian women have to work an extra 56 days a year to earn the same pay as men for doing the same work. And then in superannuation, this is this is um, these figures are old now, and I don't think they've improved. At all, But in fifteen, sixteen, the average Australian woman was reaching retirement with an average of $113,000 less superannuation than the average male.
0: Oh, and one of, um, yeah, one of impacts, um, you know, clients and, and, and friends, Pascal from um, Super Awards would tell you that the figures are even more horrific when you consider the proportion of women who um, take breaks from the workplace, who work part time. Um, or casual and the impact that that has on the number that, you know, and we have a longer life expectancy, um, the number that enter retirement or or later years of their life with little or no savings whatsoever or even horrifically below the poverty line. So um, it's absolutely a critical issue that needs to be addressed, not just to make people comfortable in their lives, but to actually Save lives and look after our citizens equally
1: yeah the um, the other thing that's really interesting is um, women 's reputa- representation on on boards now in France, the percentage of women on that hold directorships uh, this is dated two thousand and nineteen was forty four point three percent in australia it's thirty one point two percent and it seems the countries that are doing better than Australia have introduced um, quotas. Mm-hmm. Um, France introduced a quota back in two thousand and ten. And so um they're according to the statistics I've got in front of me, they're 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 miles ahead of everybody else. Sweden introduced a quota in two thousand and sixteen and they're currently at thirty nine point six percent of women in directorships. Um, yeah, and all the other countries that are above Australia have all introduced quotas. What what do you well, I mean do, earlier you... when you yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, when you mentioned Parliament earlier and that um, representation of women uh, in Parliament in both the Senate and House of Rebs, Um so the Labor Party uh, a number of years ago introduced quotas and we have seen a dramatic change to I think almost 50-50 now in terms of representation, um, whereas the in contrast the national and Liberal parties have not. Set quotas um, for their parties at this stage, and we see a significant absence of women in ministerial seats. And one of, and you know, this is where that infuriating and blood boiling argument of a meritocracy is often thrown up as an argument against quotas. However, we have to understand that there is an ingrained prejudice in all of us, including women, to defer to or prefer what has come before. So when a seat comes up for pre-selection, you know, someone's retiring or leaving politics, there's going to be a fear about holding on to that seat. And um, what is the party probably going to look for? They're probably going to look for a lookalike candidate. And if it's most likely that the retiring candidate is a male, probably even an Anglo-Saxon, you know, male. Um, and so they're, 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 they'll think about it. But when it comes down to it, particularly if there's a voting mechanism that is de-identified, it's probably going to go to what has come before because it feels safer. So, without quotas and goals and milestones, pretty much anywhere in our lives, we're just not going to get the change at the pace that it needs to occur. We have, we know every step of um, getting closer to equality for women has come from pushing for it. You know, it starts with activism, then it, then it becomes a movement and then there's advocacy and then it becomes policy. Um, there has to be those steps. If it's still just a concept that isn't enforceable, we're not going to see that change to representation of women in Parliament, women on boards, or one would argue even women in any leadership role, which is the pipeline towards board positions.
1: Mm. It's interesting. I'm going to say interesting. We we decided we weren't going to use the word interesting. (laughs) I'm going to say
0: it's interesting. No, no, I decided. (laughs) Anyone who listens to our podcast, I apologise. I said the word interesting an inordinate amount of times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the Australian Public Service Commission requires that boards across government must have a 50-50 gender balance. So if the Australian Public Service Commission has that as its policy, why can't we have that in government? Why can't we have that across across
0: boards it, generally in the country? I, we can. Yeah, we all, can is the answer, really. Yeah. So it's about, yeah, Just we just have to keep agitating, keep having these conversations. And for me, this is why International Women's Day is still such an important day um and will continue to be an important day we're talking about you know we're talking about issues of importance and passion to us in in the sphere you know in the way we live our lives um there's obviously the incredibly important fundamental factors of you know safety and um really really basic day-to-day life um access to the same healthcare, access to the same um, specialists, access to, you know, the ability to live their lives freely without chaperones or, or men making decisions about what they do next is important for women all around the world. But I guess for the purposes of today's discussion, we really wanted to hone into those areas and issues that relate to a lot of our clients and relate to our business too because these are issues that our clients also care about. Um, and a lot of them uh, have or are actively looking at ways that they can improve, um, you know, representation of women in leadership roles in their own organizations or ways to uh, improve and encourage and attract more women to their organization in the talent pipeline or um, have programs that celebrate the success of women within their businesses because some of these are traditionally male dominated industries so all of those initiatives are important and and ladder up to that that bigger goal of equality absolutely and
1: and even with our work with Montbody and I think we've spoken about Montbody before but um, you know there's there's girls that won't turn up to school because they can't afford sanitary products, so they miss out on school because they can't yeah, like they, they can't. They don't have the money, or the parents don't have the the ways or the wherefores for, for purchasing the products. So Modibodi are working with schools at the moment and with state governments to see what they can do to help address that period poverty that exists. So anyway, I digress. I digressed.
0: <laughs> it's it's important though because it's something that we, you know you'll hear us bang on about all the time is the importance of do then tell and this idea of being part of the movement that you want to see for yourselves for your businesses for your customers for you know our community so you know any way that those things can have a positive impact on the community far beyond profit making sure that purpose is in there too it, it definitely will help with progress for women's issues
1: so International Women's Day this year is just as important as ever because of the pandemic. I think women have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic as they, are, as they are with any disaster. So, you know, they're overrepresented in the health services on the front line. They're generally in casual employment and most likely to be hit hard by um, economic downturns. What what lessons have you learnt in the last 12 months in particular that you think have changed the way gender is viewed by government or by um, – I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably looking at it from a state government point of view as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is, there any, is there anything that you've noticed in the last 12 months where – is it gender equality perhaps or women's health issues or anything that is related to the pandemic that should we be discussing coming into twenty twenty one and twenty two um, around um, international women's day?
0: Mm-hmm. I think domestically that the enormous impact of lockdown measures, um the disproportionate impact that that had, On women who are also caregivers um, and parents was, you know, astonishing and um, really resulted in a large number exiting the workforce. And I mean, this is one of the contributing factors to why unemployment and underemployment figures that are, um, you know, released each month, they talk about the figure and then the government and media commentators talk about the actual figure because the reality is that that figure is those people who are actively looking for work or active participants within the workforce whereas we actually saw an enormous um, number of people exit the workforce permanently and the vast majority of them or semi-permanently the vast majority of them were women because without going back to the dark place of homeschooling, (laughs) we know that caregiving, uh, remote learning, homeschooling and working um, when you have one child or let alone multiple children of different age groups with different requirements and different needs, add on top of that children with disabilities um, or if you're a caregiver, um, or you your job requires you to physically be in a workplace and can't possibly be undertaken remotely or with flexible hours it's just impossible. something's got to give, and a lot of families were forced to make that decision because there was no other way. so the unpaid labor of women in our society and the um, economic value of that unpaid labor, I think that it has highlighted mm. that, and the second biggest area that is Terrifying and it is a domestic pandemic of its own is domestic violence and abuse so I was you know acutely aware of my um, privilege and safety in having you know a lockdown in a home where I was safe and my children were safe last year and that was not a privilege afforded to so many women last year who were in you know a violent abusive or, um, you know, terrible living in, um, environments, um, where they were experiencing violence. And I think that those two issues just have to be top of mind because they're not going to go away as we get to a more COVID normal way of living. They're still there. And I think that that will be like a hidden, um, hangover that that endures for some time those two issues, if not addressed
1: and, and certainly gone backwards too I think the australian human mm-hmm. rights commission i you know I mentioned it was two thousand and eighteen data that i've got in front of me, but you know Australian women accounted for sixty eight percent of primary carers for older people and people with a disability um ninety five percent of primary parental leave is taken by women, and women spend almost three times as much time taking care of children each day compared to men you know if if they were to do this research again in 2021 i think um we certainly have gone Mm. way backwards
0: and and add to that the stress of caring for older parents who were who are were and are at highest risk of contracting covid and dying or having serious illness as a result of it like that's a huge amount of stress on the shoulders of you know one female family member in most instances um in so many families. So these are really big issues. They affect all of society, not just individual women. So they, they need to be discussed at that, you know, at the highest level. Yeah.
1: i tell you, but one of the um, good things that I think has come out of COVID is how um, women leaders of the world have fared in terms of their countries. Like you think about the Prime Minister of New Zealand and of Taiwan They um, have come out remarkably well. Their countries have come out remarkably well from um, the amount or the numbers of COVID uh, deaths and infection that they've had within those countries. And if you look at even, you know, we've talked about um, our premier here, Gladys has performed exceptionally well as well. So, you know, I think we need to populate the world with more female leaders because we certainly do it, um, our, in our own way and have our own style about us, more empathy about us.
0: Well, I think that the, um, is it the John Hopkins University that's, that's doing all the data in the US on COVID and all of the infographics? Sorry, I don't have that one in front of me today. I will check that reference later.
1: We shall. Put um, them in our notes.
0: Yeah. So when you look at a lot of the data that has been gathered around COVID in terms of response, as well as obviously the stats and how you know, the the terrifying numbers that are occurring in different parts of the world. One of the things that was really interesting was this early identification that has endured of um, female government, uh, female leaders of governments in various countries had fared better statistically if we were looking at the key stats. But the common threads that were drawn out of it beyond their gender or, you know, their their um, the fact that they were female were the, the way that they approached the pandemic initially and ongoing. And I, and I think a couple of the common themes were um, fast to respond, so quick to lock down, um, and quick and, and frequency of communication, simplicity of communication, and um, a very focused, human centered um, decision-making and rollout of stimulus packages and so on. So this idea of talking about people first, focusing on family first, um, safety first, then once the initial period was endured and sort of the emergency response capability was um, scaled up, then it was about um, supporting and um and supporting families in the best way possible as opposed to like let's open everything up again because it's summer and everyone needs lots of trade. You know, I think that that was a distinguishing factor that we saw in many European countries was like August is coming, it's time for a holiday, let's open everything back up again and it has just resulted in an absolutely terrifyingly horrific winter. So, yeah, there were common threads beyond being female, but also it's nice to sort of notch that one up as a win for female
1: leaders. (laughs) The the Lowy Institute's um, COVID Performance Index talks about that um, gender equal leadership Mm -hmm. leads to a more comprehensive um, decision making and higher levels of collaboration and consensus. And and they say that it's crucially important, particularly considering we need community buy-in and collaboration to flatten the curve. So yeah there was some awesome wins with um female-led countries but also we need to acknowledge that if we have this gender equal leadership Mm. and i think that's not just in government i think that's across the board yeah that um that there are so many benefits benefits for that definitely definitely so the next thing we're going to move to is um around in keeping with the theme of Uh, International Women's Day, was women that we love and respect. And I've pulled off a couple of people um, when I did some research and went, you know, there's so many women that we should be celebrating and I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love um, how um, we're, particularly in Australia, we're acknowledging diversity, not just um, from a female-led, from female perspective, but also from, um, you look at about our First Nations people now. We are celebrating successes, um, and, and and including them as part of, of who we are. Which has we've come a long way when it comes to talking about, uh, our Indigenous and Indigenous women. So, um, on my list, I actually went a little bit global. And I'm going to really stuff up the pronunciation of this, but ongozi on Okonjo Iwala Iwala or Ivala, um, she is an economist and was Nigeria's first female finance minister and it's longest serving. She spent 25 years working for the World Bank. She sits on the boards of Twitter, I'll have to forgive her for that, and Garvey. Uh, the Vaccine Alliance, and is poised to become the first female head of the World Trade Organization. Um, Forbes Africa named her its African Person of the Year in 2020, and um, she spent uh, recent years as the co-chair of the Global Commission of the on the economy of and uh, and climate. So, you know, what's not to like about her? She, her appointment to the WTO was blocked by. Trump, but she has since been um, appointed. I think now for the uh, World Trade Organization head. So, you know, kudos to her, or do we say clicks to her? I don't even know what we say anymore. Um,
0: (laughs) um, As long as we don't mention side parts and skinny jeans, then I think we're 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 up to date with you. (laughs)
1: Um, Oslam Tureci is the co-founder and chief medical officer of BioNTech, a German biotech company. Um, Up until 2020, they were focused on researching and developing cancer treatments, but her husband and herself realised in January that COVID had the potential to become a pandemic, so they shifted their work Um, and they worked with Pfizer to develop the COVID vaccine.
0: And just the way that that vaccine has been created, like they were so fundamental, she was so fundamental in that. It's such a, it's a different way than um, some other coronavirus, you know, like flu vaccines have been created in the past. So that's a fascinating or pivot as a business person, but just, um, you know, to put the the human human race first like how do you choose between fighting cancer and fighting a pandemic it just becomes about like where is the biggest fire right we need to fix this one and then we'll switch back to cancer again i mean her her resume looks bloody amazing she should be bloody queen of the world absolutely well i took a look a little closer to home and um someone that i've recently learned more about is a woman named teela reed She is a criminal defence lawyer and an activist um, who was actually the first Aboriginal person to be elected vice president of Uni New South Wales Law Society, so a significant achievement in that alone. But what she's more known for is her tireless advocacy for constitutional change and human rights. Um, And I think that that is something that kind of lends itself to the... Um, focus of International Women's Day this year around choosing to challenge and this idea that um, challenging the status quo is how we agitate for change. Um, And she's somebody who's definitely doing that. And speaking of agitating for change, Grace Tame, the 2021 Australian of the Year, uh, is an incredible catalyst for change. Her Let Her Speak campaign uh, changed the Tasmanian Evidence Act, which previously forbid sexual assault victims from speaking about their experiences, but uh, didn't prevent media outlets or perpetrators uh, talk about them. She is someone who has pushed really hard for the importance of victims of sexual assault to be able to have their voices heard. And it was actually um, addressing the National Press Club about this issue as part of the International Women's Day events happening in March Another person who I find extraordinarily impressive. And might I add, she does have a side part and she's a Gen -er, So (laughs) there is not universal love for middle parts, just saying. (laughs) But anyway, maybe she's ahead of her time and everyone will come back around. So uh, at just 22 years old, Yasmin Poole. So if you haven't come across her, I'm a bit of a... um, ABC nerd, um, as many of you may have picked up. And I really love watching Q&A and I'm really enjoying the new format with Hamish MacDonald and the one sort of one topic focus of each week. Uh, And Yasmin Paul has actually been on the Q&A panel a number of times, kicking off a few years ago um, as someone who was elected through the People's Panel project. And at the beginning of this year, she won the 2021 Youth Influence of the Year Award from the Martin Luther King Jr. Centre, um, and that her incredible work um, has led her to be part of the Victorian Government's Youth Congress. She's an ambassador for Plan International and the World Bank, and how's this for overachieving at 22, Nicole? She's a non-executive board member of Oz Harvest and the Young Women's Um the yeah, the YWCA Australia. So yeah, talk wow. about a pipeline of talent for future boards. Um, we've definitely got one in Yasmin and and her colleague or her peers, I should say. Um, I'm incredibly impressed. Um, by what I'm seeing from brave young women across our country right now, and something of a resurgence in um the need and immediacy of, um, you know, the feminist movement to ensure that we achieve equity and equality in our society. It's very impressive.
1: Yeah, she's, she's incredible. I, um, If I was watching Q&A right now, I'd be hashtagging vote Yasmin for president or prime yeah. minister. You know? Prime minister, yeah, <laughs> prime minister, definitely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I've seen a few of those flash up on the screen before when she's been speaking. <laughs> Incredibly eloquent
1: all right so we um we're almost out of time but i wanted to end um this podcast with asking you because the theme of international women's day is around choose to challenge what will you be doing um to choose choosing what will you choose to challenge is probably the better way to say it in 2021
0: well i've um been thinking about this in relation to the way this the International Women's Day has sort of articulated the theme saying that we're all responsible for our own thoughts and actions all day, every day. And um, while I'm not, I'm never one to shy away from a, you know, a little bit of a debate as, as you may have uh, picked up from my love of chatting. Um, one thing that I think can occur in our day-to-day lives is lots of little micro- Moments that don't sit quite right when it comes to considering equality and bias and prejudice. And it can be really easy, particularly in larger groups or in environments that we're not too familiar with, to overlook or ignore um, or, or walk away from um, those prejudices. And so, what I'm choosing to challenge is I'm choosing to challenge myself um, to. Lean into the discomfort of unpacking those moments. And uh, when I hear those, you know, often as we uh, hear them, well intentioned, but um, comments or um, sayings, or if someone offers up an idea of something, but the framing is really sexist and, and they're not aware of that, that we can challenge those things without it being combative. It can be constructive. So that's really my focus this year is to challenge myself my friends and people within my circle that includes clients and colleagues um, that we're all responsible for shifting the the conversation for challenging the framing and the, the the ways of the past so that we can really affect that change that we need oh wow that's incredible well it's lots of I little like, things I, I feel like i can't no, no, but I'm, so, I, <laughs>
1: I'm just gonna say i'm so glad that i'm in your circle oh, just, no you just I, keep, I don't No, I... keep 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 no absolutely no absolutely you know um for those of you that don't know um francis is married to a malaysian australian is that the way do we say australian malaysian or malaysian australian um
0: he would probably just say australian but he was born in malaysia he's um chinese malaysian heritage um if we want to get really specific um peranakan which is a particular microculture of malaysia and um yeah we share a passion for um culture and for what it means you know we're really passionate about being Australian, Um, but we're also really passionate about um, ensuring that everybody is able to bring their whole selves to a conversation or to um, an experience and that they don't have to, um, you know, filter or assimilate or, you know, reduce who they are in a room. And I think that that is something that um, a lot of women feel too, right? it, it it's it can be mm. cultural or, or racial background that can make you feel like you need to do that. And just by virtue of being a woman, you you can sometimes feel like as you walk into a room you need to uh, uh, you know adjust your position or your pose or your verbosity or, you know, your assertiveness in the room. And um we're really passionate about people being able to enter a space and being respectful but being themselves. And striking that balance. So check your biases at the door, people. We don't
1: have room for that your Yeah, and
0: check yourself. And absolutely. I'm holding myself to account on that too. It's not just about everybody else. I've got to do the work as well. I was brought up in this uh, patriarchal white society, just like uh, everybody else. So I've got to tackle my own prejudices that are deep down. No, absolutely.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you for joining hold us. On, to- hold on. Hold on. Hold what, on. What, what do you what,
0: what, challenge, what? Nicole? And, and Webb. Uh,
1: hashtag choose to challenge, mm. um, I choose to challenge myself to do the Australian Institute of Company Directors course because I, there, there's not a pipeline of women who are board ready to fill those board positions. So you know that we're at 30% um, in the ASX 100, maybe even 200 of, of 200 women yeah, of holding those, those board positions um so we need more women that are board ready to to fill those roles so it's all well and good to say it should be 50/50 but um we need to do the work to 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 make sure that we are board ready so that's what i'm going to do i'm choosing to challenge myself to do the uh company directors course this year um i'm already on the Australian theatre for young people's board but i want to step it up and um join a more or a for-profit and um for-profit organization and um yeah just be part of that change be part, be part of that change
0: oh that's so impressive Nicole I'll do the grassroots little bits and you just tackle it from the top pincer Pizza. Pizza movement always pincer <laughs>
1: all right we really have run out of time for um our podcast thank you so much for joining us we want to wish everybody out there a happy international women's day on monday and um yeah stay stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon see you bye see you
0: later